Welcome to the Yoga Teacher Evolution Podcast. Namaste. My name is Paul Tioto, joined here with Michael Henry. Most yoga teacher trainings are becoming watered down and mediocre. So we have created this podcast to help supplement those of you who graduated from a teacher training and don't feel confident going out into the real world. Michael and I are lucky to have been trained by some amazing people. We've gone out into the world ourselves and had success, and we want you to feel confident to protect your students and to build your career with integrity and authenticity. Welcome to our podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Yoga Teacher Evolution podcast. My name is Michael Henry, and I will be your host for today. Today is going to be another anatomy-like session, uh, particularly focusing on the knees for a couple reasons. One, um, I've had several problems with my knees over the years, and I actually re-injured my knee last week, so it's very relevant into my brain. But also, I've actually had a friend, a yoga teacher, close friend here in Bali, an Indonesian woman who also hurt her knee. So I've been uh, helping her and nursing her a little bit back to health, and it inspired this podcast to talk a little bit more about how we can prevent these injuries from happening, particularly in yoga classes, because it's not as straightforward as you think. So that's what we're going to be talking down, talking about today, breaking down a little bit of the anatomy of the knee, but more importantly, talking about injury prevention in the knee. And that's really, really what's most important. So you can take what you want from the anatomy. It might be a little bit challenging to digest some of this stuff over a podcast episode, but the general concepts you should be able to digest no problem in order to prevent injury in yourself for your knees, as well as your students or the people that you're leading for your classes. So thank you so much for listening. I'm excited to get started and that's exactly what we're going to do. So the first things first is this is a general question that a lot of yoga teachers think for themselves. So I just want to address at the beginning of this podcast, just to kind of clear the air a little bit. And the question is, will I learn enough anatomy to help someone with an injury? Which I think is a very interesting question for a yoga teacher to ask themselves, because the reality is there is so much to learn about the body that it's almost impossible to be able to learn it in such a short amount of time to be able to accommodate the needs of people's injuries. For example, myself, I've studied anatomy, I've studied physiology, biomechanics for years. I've done eight years of university study as well as self-study, probably a collective 15 years plus about 10 years of practicing experience to help someone with their injuries. So that's a lot of time to be able to immersed, to be immersed amongst anatomy and to be talking about biomechanics and all this stuff. So for someone to have this expectation of yoga teachers to be able to accommodate injuries, to be able to support their injuries, it's not really realistic. But when we jump into the practice of becoming a yoga teacher or jump into that career path or that industry or whatever you want to call it, it always comes with this expectation that people around you think that you should know more than what you know. It's kind of not that uncommon for most other disciplines that are health related as well. For example, Basically, whenever I became a physiotherapist, people would come to me for every single issue. They think that I could handle their skin problems. They think that I could handle like everything, you know, toe problems and stuff like that. So generally speaking, I think people just don't understand that when it comes to health and wellness, there are specializations and certain things that we can and can't do. You only know what you know. So people are doing their best whenever they're presented with an opportunity and anytime they get put in front of a health professional, they always want to try to seek advice or get the most that they can out of that person. That's pretty common. So 
all this to say is just take the pressure off yourself. You know, even though that expectation exists, it doesn't mean that you actually need to live up to it. So ultimately you can learn as much anatomy as you want and it'll help to improve your practice. It'll help to improve your teaching style for you to be able to support your students. But yet, but at the end of the day, you don't need to help someone with their injury. It's not your responsibility. That's my responsibility as well as many other health professionals. So let's just leave that at that. Okay, let's jump back to talking about the knees and how we can keep them stable and keep them strong. So the things that we're going to talk about today is basically the simple movements of the knee, which are pretty straightforward, a couple of the bones and the ligaments, uh, the two main muscle groups of the knee, but most importantly, how to avoid injuries of the knee. So let's see. The two movements of the knee are pretty straightforward. I mean, the knee joint is a hinge joint, meaning it can only move in two directions or it can only move in one plane, producing two movements. So one plane of movement would be the uh, sagittal plane, I believe. And we're going to do flexion and extension. So flexion would be bending the knee and extension would be straightening the knee. Pretty straightforward, right? It can also support a little bit of rotation in the knee, okay? But the thing about the rotation in the knee, it's not a movement or it's not a, a, an action that the knee can produce on its own, okay? And that's really important to remember here. So that muscle or the muscles that move the knee can create flexion and extension, but we can't actually create rotation. There are no muscles surrounding the knee that actually produce, initiate the action of rotation, okay? It can support a little bit of rotation, particularly when the knee is bent, but there are no muscles that actually produce the movement of rotation. So that's really important to remember, okay? Another fun fact that I'll just throw in here is the knee is actually the largest joint in the body. So there's a lot of structures around it that require some support because it's such a large structure. And not only that, let's face it, our knees take a lot of beating over the years, depending on what you get into, maybe you get into some sports, but ultimately it, it carries a lot of our weight and it doesn't have as much stability as the hip does, but it does require a lot of support. So for that reason, there are a lot of ligaments that actually support the knee, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But before we do that, we'll talk about the few bones of the knee. So we got our thigh bone. Okay, our thigh bone is also called our femur. It's the biggest bone in the body. Um, and then we also have two other bones, the shin bone or the tibia, which is our weight-bearing bone of your lower leg, as well as the fibula. So the fibula is a bone that runs along the outside or the side of your shin or your lower leg, we'll say. So just the outside of basically your calf muscle. Okay, so that's your fibula bone. And that, uh, that bone actually assists with weight bearing as well, but it also allows us to move our ankle quite a bit. And then of course we have the kneecap, which we'll talk a little bit about later. Okay. So let's move on to the ligaments of the knee. Um, mostly just because this part is always interesting. There's a lot of this ACL, PCL, LCL, MCL type of talk, meniscus, and it sometimes gets confusing on what's what. At the end of the day, I mean, you don't really need to know all of these things. It's kind of more so if you become, or if you have an issue with one of these ligaments, then you start to end up learning about it. So for example, I've torn my ACL and I've torn my MCL several times. Um, if I wasn't a physiotherapist, I would probably know a lot about that stuff. So usually what happens is when we have injuries, we end up learning more about that particular area because we become extra invested into it, right? So some people that have knee injuries, it's probably more important for them to, you know, learn a little bit more about it so that they can learn how to support themselves. Okay. So we're not going to talk too much about the ligaments, ligaments, except for the fact that there are many. And that's just because the knee joint is so large that it requires a lot of support. So we'll briefly go through them. So the ACL and the PCL. So these are 
ligaments that are inside the joint, inside. So very, pretty much in the center of uh, the femur bone and the tibia bone, okay? And they actually help to stabilize the knee from over-rotating or over-twisting, okay? So very much related in supporting the knee when we're doing any kind of sport activities, agility, turning, cutting, pivoting, all of that stuff. So that's what those ligaments help to support. And that's also usually when they get injured. So for example, when I tore my ACL, I was planting my foot on the ground playing basketball and I went to pivot. You know, I didn't get hit. No one touched me. I just pivoted and the ligament just gave out on me. And unfortunately it ruptured and tore. So that's basically how those ones work. Um, ACL is probably more common to become injured and PCL, not so much, but it does happen. Um, so then there's two other ones, the LCL and the MCL, and those ones are just on the outside of the knee. Okay. And one on the inside and one on the outside, um, of the, how should I say this? The lateral side of the knee. Okay. So lateral just means to the outside of the knee. So away from the midline. Okay. And then medial is towards the inside of the knee or closer to the midline of the body. And those ligaments are purely there to basically support the knee from bending or side bending, okay? Um, which, as we know, as we mentioned earlier, the knee joint is a hinge joint, so it's only supposed to move in two directions, bending and straightening, and then a little bit of rotation, but not too much. And then after that, so after we cover the two ligaments that support inside the knee for supporting pivoting, rotation, torque, all that stuff. And then we have the two ligaments on the outside of the knee on both the medial side and the lateral side. Those prevent the side bending of the knee. We don't want to have any side bending of our knee. And then we also have a meniscus, which is technically not a ligament. It's more of a cartilage cushion that sits between your thigh bone, the femur, and your tibia, your shin bone. And that cushion actually just helps to absorb a lot of the shock that we have from our body weight, from running, from bouncing up and down, basically all the weight that we have from above our knee that pours down into our tibia, our weight-bearing bone. Okay, so that's what that uh, structure does and supports for. Okay, so let's move into the muscles, the main muscles that support the knee, okay? We're not going to talk about individual muscles. We're not going to be talking about origins, insertions, and all that stuff. Like, that stuff is deep, deep, deep. And if you're studying that, that's probably for your own accord, and that's fantastic. But for general purposes, you don't need to know that stuff. And to be honest, I never use it in my day-to-day practice, except for whenever I'm really trying to dive deep and to help someone with their injuries. So if you have a particular injury, then maybe it'll be helpful. But otherwise, as a yoga teacher, just throw it out the door. You don't need to know that stuff. Okay? So two muscle groups of the knee or main muscle groups of the knee are the quadriceps and the hamstrings. So the quadriceps are the muscles that sit on top of your thigh, okay? So right on top, basically that engulf your thigh bone or your femur, okay? Quadriceps, because there are four of them, we're not gonna get into the names, but ultimately there are four of them that kind of work together to help stabilize and support the knee and also allow us to straighten the knee. So that's what the quadriceps muscles do. When they contract, they allow us to straighten our knee. So if you did that now, by just straightening your knee, you're gonna feel your quads start to engage, especially if you get all the way to your maximum extension. You'll probably feel a lot of tension in and around the inside of the, um, the kneecap or in and around the kneecap. So that's where a lot of the stability will come from. Then we have the hamstring muscles. And then the hamstring muscles are on the back side of the thigh. Okay. And there are three 
hamstring muscles. Again, we're not going to get into the names of them, but ultimately they help to bend the knee. Okay. So when you bend your knee or you try to squeeze your heel towards your butt, that's going to engage your hamstrings. Okay. So ultimately those are the two main muscles that support the knee and the quadriceps are important in a lot of poses to help stabilize the knee, particularly in standing postures. So it's really good to cue these muscles. Uh, particularly when the knees are straight. So if you're doing warrior twos, warrior ones, crescent, any of this stuff like that, where you're trying to get the back leg to be straight, this is going to be the quads that are going to be doing it. You can even be doing it in like a half moon pose where your leg is sticking out uh, back behind you and you're standing on one leg. In order to get that leg nice and strong and balanced in that pose, you need to really engage your thigh muscles. So you could use some simple cues like straighten your knee, lift your kneecap up, Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, press down through your feet if you're actually stabilized on the ground. Or what you can do sometimes is in a standing position, you can say micro bend your knee while standing. Now, micro bending your knee while standing will actually allow you to engage your quadriceps as opposed to allowing your knee to lock out or hyperextend sometimes, which sometimes we like to do because it feels like we don't have to work as hard, which is true. That's what happens when we lock out. but when we do that, we're putting a lot of pressure on all of those ligaments and all of those structures around the joint that we talked about earlier. And we really don't want to do that. We really want to put that pressure down through the muscles because the muscles are going to be better suited at supporting the joint. So micro bending the knee is really helpful for that. So that's a great cue. You could even say like 99% uh, straight or a 1% bend in the knee, whatever kind of language you want to use, but ultimately just the whole point is to get them to engage their quadriceps or the muscles surrounding their knee to be able to support it a little bit better. Okay, let's talk about the hamstrings now. So the hamstrings, again, bend the knee. They're in the back of the thigh. Um, and simply you can cue these ones by just saying, you know, bend or flex the knee or in certain poses like Urva Dhanurasana or maybe even bridge pose. So Urva Dhanurasana is um, upward facing bow. Sometimes it has different names. I think it's like wheel, but I think wheel is actually a different pose entirely. So um, upward facing bow or Urva Dhanurasana. Ultimately, when you're lying on your back and you're about to go into a deep back bend by lifting up. So when we do that, usually we want to engage our glutes. Yes, but we also want to engage our hamstrings. And a great way to cue that is to push down through the heels when we're basically in this bridge pose or this Urva Dhanurasana, that's gonna to help to engage the hamstrings. But even further, which will also help with the back bend and supporting the knee, is to pull your heel towards your butt or pull your heel towards your wrists or towards your head, whatever you wanna say, that's gonna allow us to engage the hamstrings even more. So if you can imagine that you're in it um, upside down or um, upward facing bow and you're on your feet and your hands, if you're going to be pulling your heels towards your wrists, you're actually going to be creating a nice arch in this bow pose. That's going to really help to stabilize all of the structures, not just your knee, but actually your lower back as well, because the hamstrings also cross over the hip joint. But uh, that's another lesson. So that's basically a great way to be able to cue and support uh, the knees through the hamstrings, particularly in that pose. Another way you can say this is drive your knees forward at the same time dragging your heels back. Okay, that one can be a little bit confusing, but ultimately when you're in that upward facing bow, if you were to drive your knees forward and at the same time 
drag your heels back. You're going to be creating a lot of engagement in and around your legs, stabilizing your knee and ultimately allowing for a nice curve in the upward facing bow or over down your asana. Okay, cool. So let's go back to the kneecap now for a moment. So the kneecap is one of the bones that we briefly mentioned earlier, but ultimately it's a small, it's called a sesamoid bone, which again, you don't need to remember that, but it's a, it's a small bone that's basically like a circle, um, kind of like a cap almost, hence the kneecap, that just sits on in front of the thigh bone and the shin bone. The interesting thing about the kneecap is that it doesn't actually attach to the thigh bone or the shin bone. It actually floats in and amongst the tendons of the quadricep. So whenever we engage our quadricep, we usually end up moving our kneecap up towards uh, the sky or towards our, our face, I guess, depending on the orientation of our body. So that's why one of the cues could be like lift your, you know, squeeze your, squeeze your thighs by lifting your kneecap up. Um, that kind of action can sometimes be useful, but not everyone, not everyone always gets it. But ultimately that's what's happening in the body. When we engage our quads, the kneecap is actually drawing upward. So why do we have a kneecap? Well, first of all, if we didn't have a kneecap, whenever we would go to bend or straighten our knee, we'd be getting a lot of friction from the tendons of the quad muscles rubbing against the bones. So this kneecap actually creates a bit of a tracking system that slides up and down through these soft little tissues that make it nice and smooth and frictionless, uh, or I shouldn't say frictionless, but there's less friction involved. So it makes it a lot smoother and easier on the joints, the bones, the whole structure. So that's why we have a kneecap. Um, and ultimately, I guess the other reason would be is that it does protect the front of the knee and any other structures from basically going to uh, affect the inside of the knee. So that kind of like creates a little bit of a shield or a barrier, if you will. Okay, now for the good and juicy stuff. How to avoid injuries in the knee. So there's three main ways that injuries can either happen in the knee or be aggravated in the knee. So the first one is whenever we do a maximum extension of the knee or maximum rotation of the knee or maximum flexion of the knee. So basically when we're at the end of range of motion of any of the three options for what the knee can do, even though one of them is not initiated by muscles, rotation, um, that's when we have the risk of injury. So end of range of movement for the knee. So let's start with maximum extension or straightening of the knee. So we talked a little bit about this earlier with the lockout. So when we have a complete lockout of the knee, so like standing in warrior three, for example, or even um, half moon is another example, basically standing on one leg, a lot of people have a tendency to just lock out and allow that knee to really hyperextend or really find that maximum extension. But when we do this, a lot of the body weight falls into the bones and the ligaments, like I mentioned earlier, and can lead to unnecessary stress in the joint. So we don't need to do that. It will feel easier to lock it out, but ultimately we want to get those muscles involved to actually have them engaged in supporting the structure whilst we are standing on one leg. It'll also make it easier to balance over time because you're going to be building up endurance and strength in those muscles, and it's going to get easier and easier to balance on one leg. So ultimately, the solution for this is to cue a micro bend in the knee, like we mentioned earlier. A slight bend in the knee forces the quadriceps or the thigh muscles to engage. So those engaged muscles support and stabilize the knee. Ultimately, what we're doing is we're creating some strength and control with a bit of flexibility which is also called mobility. So ultimately creating that active engagement around the knee. 
All right, let's move into the maximum twisting rotation of the knee. This one is probably the one that causes the most problems and is actually the reason and how my friend got injured recently is because she was doing too much rotation in her knee and then she caused an injury to the outside of her uh, knee structure. But again, how do we cause too much rotation in the knee if there are no muscles that actually initiate rotation in the knee? Well, the knee supports rotation from the hip, meaning when we put our hip into a rotation, particularly external rotation, whenever our leg kind of falls out to the side in, let's say, bound angle pose, okay? When our leg falls out to the side, or even pigeon pose is probably more common for rotation, particularly in the knee, um, that excessive external rotation in the hip, if we don't have enough or it's limited in the hip, then the knee will start to support it, meaning the knee will start to rotate. Okay, now remember, the knee doesn't have any muscles to support or initiate rotation in the knee, which means that we're just putting a lot of pressure on the ligaments and the joint itself. Okay, and this is why you probably hear it commonly, or maybe you even even said it yourself and you weren't sure why, that the knee joint is very vulnerable if we do not support and engage it, particularly with flexing the foot uh, and we'll talk about why that is, but ultimately it's going to help to stabilize that knee structure, the knee joint as much as possible. But what's probably even more important to prevent the excessive rotation in the knee is to just support the hip a little bit more. So as much as we'd love to support the knee because we don't want to have maximum twisting or rotation in the knee, at the end of the day, it really comes from the hip. So we need to accept some of the limitations that our hips might have for us, particularly in something like pigeon pose or any other poses that require external rotation of the hip. We need to make sure that we can support it. So whether that be sitting on a bolster or a block to be able to lift our hip a little bit and support that external rotation, then that way the bend, or sorry, the knee will not try to make up for that external rotation and basically cause any tension through that structure. Okay, so that's how we can, first of all, help support the hip in order to support the knee. And then secondly, whenever we start to do things that require external rotation in the hip, and then it ended up causing a little bit of rotation in the knee, so kind of like that 90-90, so like a pigeon pose again is a good example, we want to make sure that we flex the toes or flex the foot or the ankle, moving the toes towards your shin also known as dorsiflexion. When we do this, um, basically what happens is our calf muscle starts to tighten. Not in the sense of we're actually contracting it, we're actually doing the opposite, we're putting it on length. So when we bring our toes towards our shin or we dorsiflex, we're actually stretching or making our calf muscle taut or tight. We're basically elongating it and lengthening it. So that lengthening is causing a bit of a tension in and around the back of the knee which is actually causing a stability structure to support the knee. And it actually minimizes or at least reduces the amount of twisting or rotation in the knee. So that's why it's very important whenever we're doing things like pigeon pose or any kind of maybe like standing pigeon or anything like that, where we're putting our hip and our knee into this rotated position, we really want to stabilize and support the knee by flexing that foot. And that's exactly what that does. Okay, let's move into the maximum bending of the knee or flexion. So the thing about maximum flexing, flexion or bending of the knee is this typically doesn't cause an injury in the knee. However, if you already have an injury or uh, an old or a relatively new injury, 
uh, flexion is not going to be your friend. So for example, me, flexion is not my friend. I typically have to use bolsters or blocks, or I also use an acrobat, which is like an, a yoga wedge to help support me if I'm sitting on my heels, like in Vajrasana or hero pose, or if I'm basically in any other poses where I require maximum bending in my knee. So yogi squat, even toe balancing pose, uh, that can be really challenging for me. Okay. And that's because of the maximum bending of the knee. So while this may not apply to you, if someone were to come to your class and they have knee issues or knee problems, obviously we want to prevent them from causing new injuries by avoiding maximum extension, straightening, or maximum rotation. But we also don't want them to go too far into maximum bending or flexing because what that's gonna do is just aggravate. And we don't need to aggravate old injuries, right? So that's why I'm very generous with my supportive blocks and bolsters whenever I do yoga and even though I have a strong practice, I still need to support my knees. So don't be afraid to support your own knees if this is relevant for you or encourage and engage your students to be able to do the same. Okay. It's really, really important. So like I said, support the knees with as many blocks or bolsters as you need to minimize the maximum bending. Ideally, we want to find a tender edge in the knee where you are bent as far as you can go without pain. And that way you'll slowly be able to improve the range of motion there without needing to aggravate anything. So you can do a variation of basically blocks, bolsters, or whatever kind of thing you need to do. Okay, so how do we avoid injuries in the knee? Let's recap. Ultimately, to prevent a new injury, we wanna avoid full extension lockout of the knee by engaging with a micro bend in the knee, ultimately getting our muscles involved actively, okay? Particularly the quadriceps muscles. We also want to avoid excessive rotation in the knee by supporting the external rotation at the hip as much as possible. To protect someone with an old injury or a recent injury, we want to avoid maximum bending or flexing by using supportive blocks or bolsters. And there you have it. That's basically the best way that we can support the knees by understanding a little bit of anatomy, yes, but ultimately just understanding what our limitations are as humans. Uh, knowing exactly what our knee can do and what it can't do or what it likes to do and what it doesn't really like to do uh, in the best that way that we can engage it and support it by involving our muscles as much as possible. So hopefully this episode was helpful for you regardless if you have a knee injury or not uh, but ultimately I think it's a great thing to understand particularly so that you can support your students in your class um, if you are a yoga teacher and um, yeah ultimately allowing you to feel more comfortable to be able to respond to that question about us thinking whether or not we're going to know enough anatomy in order to be able to support someone within with an injury so again that expectation does not need to fall onto us and actually become a reality but we can also improve our knowledge as much as possible to help point people in the right direction so that's kind of the ultimate goal all right. So thank you so much for listening. This has been another fun little episode for me talking about anatomy over a podcast. So I'm curious to know how it landed for you. Please let me know. You can reach out to me on Instagram or you can reach out through the email on the website um, at, I think it's contact at yogateacherevolutionpodcast.com. So contact at yogateacherevolutionpodcast.com. If you check that out, um, please let me know. I'd be curious to know exactly how you feel about this episode. Any feedback is welcome. And as always, I'm going to mention the Going Pro Mentorship Program very quickly. This program is dedicated for yoga teachers to help get you ready to teach in the real world, helping you with advanced sequencing, injury prevention by yours truly, as well as a lot of practice teaching and real live feedback from senior teachers Byron DeMarseille and the other co-host of this podcast, 
Paul Teoto. So if you are unfamiliar with either of those people, you can go back and listen to some of these episodes or you can go to yttmasterclass.com. All the details are on the website there. And if you have any questions, again, you can reach out to us on Instagram, either myself or Paul, and we'd be happy to answer your questions directly. Otherwise, thanks again for listening and have a beautiful, beautiful day. All right, let's move into the maximum twisting rotation of the knee. This one is probably the one that causes the most problems and is actually the reason and how my friend got injured recently is because she was doing too much rotation in her knee and then she caused an injury to the outside of her uh, knee structure. But again, how do we cause too much rotation in the knee if there are no muscles that actually initiate rotation in the knee? Well, the knee supports rotation from the hip, meaning when we put our hip into a rotation, particularly external rotation, whenever our leg kind of falls out to the side in, let's say, bound angle pose, okay? When our leg falls out to the side, or even pigeon pose is probably more common for rotation, that excessive external rotation in the hip, if we don't have enough or it's limited in the hip, then the knee will start to support it, meaning the knee will start to rotate. 